So every once in a while, I am just captivated by the reality of being in God's presence, of looking so forward to that day when I see His face, when I look into His eyes for the first time. You ever spend much time thinking about that? What will that moment be like? That moment. This last week, a sister we love, Jeannie Reynolds, she got her moment. She got her opportunity to look into her Savior's eyes. For Jeannie, best day of her life ever, bar none. For the rest of us and for her family, it's a little different story. We want to make sure that we're lifting up the family in prayer uh, this week and on. And, uh, you know, just asking God to give them the strength that they need. God's been with them, and they're not alone. People love them, and, and, and I encourage you to pour out your love on them. That's why we're here, to have opportunities like that. Jeannie's service is going to be Wednesday at uh, 1030, this Wednesday at 1030 in the morning, if you're able to come and be a part of it. We'll have a service, graveside to follow, and then afterwards we'll have lunch here at the church. So, uh just have a neat time of fellowship and a great opportunity to love on them. So I encourage you to do that. I encourage you in that respect. But I also encourage you, don't be sad for Jeannie. Heaven is not second place. Heaven is, that's our home. And every time the Lord takes another person to heaven, makes us a little more homesick. But that's home. Not this. So I'm happy for Jeannie and my heart goes out to Dean and the family who, uh, you know, carry on without her. But for each of us and for Jeannie as well, God has a walk for us to walk, doesn't he? He's got a race for us to run. When our race is done, he brings us home. When our race is still needing to be run, he leaves us here to finish what he's laid out before us to do. And that's something that we want to really grasp a hold of with both hands and say, you know, I want to do, to fulfill, to be everything that God wants me to be. To do whatever it is that God wants me to do from now till the day he calls me home. And I look forward to the opportunity day in and day out to get to show a little bit of what Jesus Christ was like to a world that doesn't quite understand him. In fact, this morning as we take a look at Matthew chapter 12, we begin to see <coughs> the world rejecting the Messiah. Or for, for the matters, theologically, the nation of Israel is going to reject their Messiah, or begin to reject it. But you know, what we see in in Matthew chapter 12, we see every single day in the world. You know, so often we look and we study, we read the Gospels, and we hear about the things Jesus did, and the love that Jesus had, and the things that Jesus did for people. And we, and we sometimes we get frustrated. We don't understand, well, why are the people, why is it that they can't see, or that they're negative toward Him, or that they're shunning Him, or pushing Him away? But those very same things happen day in and day out in our world. It's maybe not as tangible because Jesus at this time could be seen, touched, felt, heard. 
but nonetheless real in what Jesus does for us today. Matthew chapter 12 begins with, at that time. That means that we have to remember what's going on, right? We talked about it a little bit last week. The, my favorite verses in the scripture, this is what it says. Listen, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's still true. That's still true right now. It's still true. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the Lord was saying, as he's speaking these lines to the people, it's at that time when he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. When he said, take off that yoke of legalism, take off the requirements, take off what you think you have to do to have a relationship with God and put on the reality of what you need to do. Learn from me. Put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Take all that craziness, all the requirements that the law had, all the things that people, the Pharisees would heap upon the people in those days. And say, if you try really hard, well, maybe you can be as holy as me. Jesus said, take that yoke off and put mine on. Put my yoke and learn from me, for I am humble, gentle, lowly. He wasn't about proclaiming himself or running over the top of people or, or, you know, backing somebody into the corner. And that's not who Jesus was. He said, I'm humble. And then he said, my yoke is easy. My yoke is easy. That means that the yoke that God calls us to carry fits. That's what it means. Do you ever try to put on a brand new pair of of hiking boots and go hiking in them, but they're not quite broke in yet? Well, you'll know which parts aren't broke in, won't you? Because shortly they're in, somewhere along that hike, you start blistering up, the top of your toe or the back of your heel, somewhere where it's not broke in. The Lord says, take my yoke upon you because it's broke in. It'll fit you. It's just right for you. It will be easy. Take my yoke upon you, for it is easy. And my burden is light. And this last uh, Sunday night, we, were, we studied out of Jeremiah chapter 29. I want to share a little bit of, of what we talked about in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29 is probably the darkest day in Israel's history. Now, everybody knows Jeremiah 29, 11, don't you? I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. A lot of people have heard that verse before, and maybe it's up on your refrigerator, and it's a, it's a verse you want to learn. But what they forget is that verse was given to a nation that just got locked up in chains, chains put around their neck, lined up in a row, and marched off to Babylon. Slaves. Everything they ever had, gone. Everything in their homes, taken away. Whatever was theirs, it's over, it's finished. The, everything that they would, they'd be looking around at their life and saying, my whole life is falling apart and none of it makes any sense and I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. And Jeremiah writes a letter and he says, this is what God has to say to you as you're marching off and you're mourning and you're crying about everything you've lost. The Lord said, I know the thoughts I have toward you. Thoughts of good, not evil. 
everything that we face in life, every struggle that comes, every difficult circumstance, whether it's leading us away in bondage as a slave, the Lord was telling the children of Israel, you can't tell yet, but this is for your good. Didn't say it was going to be easy. He said it was going to be good. Take my yoke upon you because it fits. It's broke in. Take that yoke. My burden's light because we're going to be yoked together with Jesus Christ. And even though the things we go through may be hard, we can know they're good. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good, not evil, to give you a future. See, the nation of Israel didn't know on that day the future that God was building for them. And maybe there's some here today that can't see the future that God is building for them because of the circumstances around them right now. But hear what Jesus is saying to you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come unto me, He wants us to bring those burdens, bring those cares, bring those things, and lay them at His feet and experience rest, peace with God. And ultimately, rest, peace of God. That's what He wants us to experience. And as He's building within you and me and us and them a future and a hope. And that road's not always going to be easy, but it will always be good all the time we can you can hang your hat on it you can hold on to it with both hands i've had a wide range of experiences as a pastor that the lord has given me opportunity to minister in and i shared last sunday night i i got a phone call from uh it was actually at a board meeting and, and somebody passed me a note And a couple that I was counseling, we were doing some marriage counseling and working through some issues, had just run over their little baby girl in their driveway. It's a year old. Dad had come home for lunch and they sat down and had a neat lunch together. And Dad got up to leave. And as he went out, he was talking with his wife a little bit. And nobody saw the little girl come out the door. So when Dad closed the door to the front door of the house and he walked to his truck he has no idea that his little girl's outside and she happened to be playing in front of the truck he has no idea and he started up his truck and he ran over his little girl and he got out of his truck and he scooped up her body and held her until the ambulance came and when he got to the hospital i was there and the first thing he said to me walking down the the hallway coming up to me Jackie, tell me that this is God's will. Tell me I did not just kill my baby girl. Jeremiah 29, 11, still true. God didn't say it was easy. He just said it's good. Didn't say hearts wouldn't break. He just said it's good. Just like the children of Israel couldn't see it, it didn't mean it wasn't true. 
And just like at that moment, that, that father and mother couldn't see it, didn't mean it wasn't true. Don't you weep for that little girl. That little girl is right in the presence of Almighty God. She was spared every little miserable part of our life that we had to grow through. And taken into the presence of the king right now. She was counted worthy to have finished her race so fast. Others finish their race much longer, but it doesn't change the truth. It's not easy, but it's good. And as Jesus is bringing this message, come to me with your labors and your burdens and your heartaches and the things that break your heart about what you think you know about what God is doing in your life. And you bring all that stuff to me and you lay it down at my feet. I'll take it all. And you take my yoke upon you because it's broken. You learn from me and find that ultimate peace of God, that ultimate peace with God, with me. It's at that time, as Jesus is sharing that, and as the people whose hearts are broken and whose lives are upside down, aren't they the ones we find with Jesus all the time? The people who think they got it all together and they got it all worked out didn't have time for Jesus. They got it all solved. The brokenhearted. That's who he said he came. I came to heal the brokenhearted. I came to set the captives free. To take off the chains that bind us. To to strip away all that garbage of religiosity and all the answers that we think we know and just to say to us it's not always gonna be easy but it will always be good i know the thoughts i think toward you says the lord thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's at that time, Matthew chapter 12, the Lord said, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. You know, Jesus must have always felt like somebody was always paying attention to his disciples and not paying attention to what he was teaching. Any different today? I could point out a hundred people who won't come to church because there's hypocrites there, but they don't mind going to McDonald's. It's full of hypocrites. (laughs) Well, I can't go to church. There's hypocrites there. You know, you won't believe what the disciples of Jesus do. They got bumper stickers that say, Lord, save us from your followers. Because they're spending all their time watching people who are just like you and me. Anybody in here perfect? We have a special service for you if you are. (laughs) No, nobody in here is perfect. Nobody's got all the answers. Nobody's got all solved. The point is that we have all 
prayerfully, every one of us make a decision and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. Not to be perfect. So the Pharisees are watching Jesus' disciples. And they reach over while they're walking down the road and they take a little bit of a wheat. Anybody who, did you guys know that I have, what's the proper term, Dean? Thrashed wheat? Is that what it is? That's what the combine does, right? <clears throat> I have thrashed wheat. So I'm practically a farmer now. <clears throat> Riley, uh, Riley took me out, uh, that was last year, huh, harvest time, and taught me. And you know what we did while we were, while we were thrashing wheat? Take a handful, of, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be stealing from you. But we took a handful of wheat kernels and we'd eat them while we were gone. Well, it's only fair, right? A worker's worthy of his wage. I could not possibly eat so much that it's going to notice. So here are the disciples. That's what they do. They take some of the wheat, they thresh it in their hands, and they throw back some of the kernels of the wheat. You know, they're hungry as they're walking. And there's the Pharisees. Well, you see what they did? Uh, Jesus, now Jesus had just taught them, Come unto me, all you labor. Come unto me with your problems and with all these issues. But you see, the Pharisees, they don't have no problems. They don't have no issues. Their issue is, what's wrong with everybody else? I got a problem with Pharisees, because they're still here today. They always have a problem with everybody else. They got a problem with how you do this, or how you do that, or why did you do it this way, or why do you do it that way? And they can always point out those problems because it keeps them from having to look in the mirror and recognize, oh, I guess I have those problems too. But here they are with Jesus, and they're going to say, hey, they're not doing what's lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, this is what God's Word says. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. From that, the rabbis had developed this incredible teaching so that there's no possible way you could understand how to keep a Sabbath without buying their book. And you buy their book, How to Keep the Sabbath. And on their How to Keep a Sabbath book, it has all these rules. And rule number 492 was you cannot pull wheat off and, sh- and thresh it in your hand. You can pull the wheat off. That didn't count as work. But as soon as you put the wheat between your hands and did that, you broke the Sabbath. Jesus had just said, take that burden on that these people are putting on you. You take it off and you take my yoke. It fits well. And there's the Pharisees pointing out, hey, your, <clears throat> your disciples are a bunch of ragamuffins. Folks, nothing has changed. We go through the scripture and we're going to talk and we have talked about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Being a follower of Jesus Christ. When I talk about that, don't get some crazy, holy, oh, halo thing popping on people's heads. And <clears throat> I'm getting a little bit of cold, so that's hard to do. And, uh, and get this idea that, you know, when I say be a disciple, that speaks of spiritual perfection or something. What I'm talking about, have you read about the disciples? I, what I remember about them is they were a lot, they had a hard time getting along. Oh, Jackie, but after Jesus rose, they went into spiritual perfection, didn't they? Uh, no. 
I seem to remember Peter and Paul having a spat. I seem to remember Paul and Barnabas having an argument. A disagreement that divides their ministry. Why? Because God's disciples have always been people. And people are screwed up. So God's disciples are always going to be somewhat screwed up. So what's the key in that? When I say be a disciple, I'm saying, listen, this is important. Be wholly committed. Not be perfect. Be wholly committed. Not do everything right. Be wholly committed to God. To the Lord. To following Him. Don't come unto Jesus and take His yoke and just say, Well, Lord, I'm only going to put it on this shoulder. It's not going to work. Be fully, utterly, totally committed. The Pharisees come and they say, your disciples are screwed up. And the people today come to the church and they say, look at all these people. They're all messed up. They don't do everything right. They don't say all the right things. You know, just the other day, I was following that preacher over there at Calvary Chapel. And do you know, he did a a California stop in Idaho. Well... The Lord is working on that stuff. I really look at... Sorry, Rusty. Can Rusty, everybody see Rusty back there? Can, everybody wave. Thank you. We appreciate your, your service and all the police officers, what they do for us. But in the country, I think the stop signs are suggestions. Can I get a ticket for saying that? <coughs> but nonetheless... Listen, if you look at God's disciples, just like the Pharisees, you're going to find something wrong with them. You're going to find something wrong with them because they're people. We're supposed to look at who? Jesus. Does that absolve me of my responsibility in portraying the light of Jesus Christ to the best of my ability? Not, absolutely not. But does me... Give you opportunity, just like the Lord said to David, you've given the enemies of God opportunity to blaspheme the Lord by your example. I don't ever want to do that. But I want to keep my eyes on him. The Pharisees didn't get it. Their eyes are where? On the disciples. Something wrong with the disciples. So Jesus, he's got an answer for him. I love the answer that Jesus gives them. Because Jesus, he takes the back of his disciples. He's got their back. He's like, don't mess with my people. Those are my kids. I didn't say they're perfect, but they're my kids. Have you ever met Mama Bear? Some of you guys know who Mama Bear is, don't you? Do not go to Mama and tell her what's wrong with her kids. You're going to get Mama Bear. You can tell when it's going to happen. Try it with Kathy sometime. Whew. She's not in here right now, is she? Oh, sorry. (coughs) Well, in that case, that's the end of that story. Let's continue. (laughs) I'll let her tell you another time. (coughs) So anyway, Jesus, he's going to give them an answer. Look at verse 3. It says, 
He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. He's going to give them four examples, Jesus, to answer this, this critical uh, charge that they have against his people. And the first thing he says is, don't you remember history? In history, there was this fellow named King David. And he wasn't king quite yet, but he had been anointed by God king. And he's running away from this evil king named Saul. And David, while he was running, he got really hungry. And he came to the place where the tabernacle was. And there was no food anywhere for him to get. So he went in to the tabernacle. Not lawful for him to go in. That was where a priest went. But he knew there were 12 loaves in there representing the 12 tribes of Israel. With a little frankincense in each one of those loaves. And he took those loaves and he ate them. And he gave it to his men because they were starving. Jesus said, you know, David did this which was not lawful. But he's still King David. The people at that time would venerate David. He's the greatest king they ever had. Look at what King David did. He said from history. Think about what King David did. And here's the, here's the implication. God didn't strike him for what he was doing. What he was doing was against the letter of the law, but not against the spirit of the law. That's what Jesus is going to say. It's against the letter of the law. And the Pharisees are real good at the letter of the law. But Jesus is going to say, but here's what you need to understand. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. And, and literally, Jesus is saying, not only did David do this, and David broke the law, and God didn't smite him, but a greater than King David is in your midst right now. That's what he's implying. He's implying, I'm greater than King David. So the first example, listen to history. Look at what <coughs> David and his men did. Jesus, by implication, is saying, I'm greater than he. And then in verse 5, he gives a second example from the law. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Have you ever thought about that on the Sabbath day? Right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And a man built all these concepts about what you can't do, what you can do, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. Jesus says, do you realize that the priests in the temple do twice as much work on the Sabbath day as any other day? But they're not guilty. Here you're pointing the finger at my disciples for shucking a little grain in their hands. But have you not considered by your interpretation, by your book, how to keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy? The priests are guilty. So Jesus points out, King David would be guilty according to your book. The priests would be guilty. They profane it every day. And then look what Jesus says he says in verse 6, Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. For you and I, maybe that's not such a big deal, but for the Jew, the temple was the most important thing in the entire world. The temple was it. The temple is God's house. That's where God lives. If you wanted to see God, you came to the temple. 
Even the disciples in John chapter 15 say to Jesus, Lord, have you ever seen such an incredible thing as the temple? Everybody was blown away by it. But Jesus said, but there's one here greater than the temple. I'm greater than this house that you built for God to live in. I'm greater than King David. Then he goes on and he gives him a word from the prophets. So we got a word from history, a word from the law, and now a word from the prophets. Verse 7. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Because God is a God of compassion. Forgiving the sinner. Isn't that the God we serve? Here the Pharisees are wanting to point the finger at what's wrong. You are dirty, rotten, no good scoundrel. You're threshing wheat in your hands. You don't measure up to our standard of holiness. And then the Lord, Jesus Christ, says to them, If you had understood what the word of the prophet spoke, when Haggai said to them that the Lord desires mercy and not sacrifice, he's not looking to heap on those the incredible burdens that man heaps on people to make them measure up to their concept of what a relationship with God looks like. But rather, he says, listen, rather, he says, man, mercy, compassion. When Jesus stood with the woman at the well, he had every right to condemn her, didn't he? She'd been married to four different men and was living with a fifth. There are churches that won't even let you in the door if you're like that. But Jesus went out of his way to go to Samaria to meet this woman at this well just to speak to her, just to tell her that she could have forgiveness from the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what she'd ever done, that she could have forgiveness, that she could have a relationship with God, that she could know of the Almighty, that he had promises for her to hold on to. And her life was radically and incredibly changed forever because of mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus was approached by a rich young ruler. He came to him and said, Lord, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus responds to him. He had a response for that guy. Maybe it's different from how our response would be. But Jesus says, Well, you know what's written. Keep the law. Be blameless. And the rich young ruler said, I've done that since my youth. Well, we have a problem, don't we? That's the guy in church raising his hand. I'm perfect. So Jesus said, well, one thing you lack. He's going to point out where his struggle is. Sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And the rich young ruler went away sorrowful because he had much he was in bondage to his stuff but what you don't realize is the very next chapter jesus goes to a town it's called jericho remember the walls fell down there just like when he went to the woman at the well he went to jericho no other reason than there's a short guy there oh i told you it was going to happen fritz I told Fritzy this morning, I got no Fritz jokes. Today, no Fritz jokes. 
And then Zacchaeus comes along. Sorry, brother. We're so close, too. So he goes just for Zacchaeus. Now, what was Zacchaeus? Was Zacchaeus a poor guy who had no power? No. He's a rich tax collector. Everybody hated him because he ripped everybody off. But everybody had to respect him because if you turned, you did Zacchaeus wrong, he'd send his thugs and they'd take all your stuff. He's like the original little mob boss. That's Zacchaeus. But Jesus goes to Jericho, not because he's going to do this big, incredible mass outreach, but he wants to talk to one guy, one little guy there, and he wants to bring him the truth. Zacchaeus, you can be forgiven for everything you've ever done wrong. And what did Zacchaeus do? He gave away all his stuff. The rich young ruler couldn't do it, but Zacchaeus had no problem. He come face to face with Jesus and he looked around and said, all this is just junk. I don't need it. Or he said it like this. I'm going to repay back anybody I ever took advantage of. And I'm going to give them double. What do you think he had? I don't think he had much left after that. And then he came and followed Jesus. His life was never the same again. Never the same. Jesus cares about the people who recognize themselves as sinners, but the Pharisees who point out all the problems, but he's got no time for them. God desires what? Mercy, not sacrifice. We can go through all the rituals. I'm going to make God happy. I'm going to come to Sunday, every single Sunday morning. I'm going to work in Sunday school. And not only that, I'm going to come on Wednesday night and I'm going to do the Bible study on Wednesday night. But not only that, I'm, going to, I'm even going to come Sunday night. I'm going to make super sacrifice. And I'm going to go to men's study on Monday night. And, and then if I'm a lady, I'm going to go to women's study on all the other nights. They got studies. I'm going to do all this stuff and I'm going to make God happy. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. He doesn't want your ritual. He wants a relationship. If you do all those things, you do all those things because you love them. Not because you got to. You don't do all those things to make him happy. You do all those things so that you can love him. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. But they didn't get that. Listen to the last thing he said. You would not have condemned the guiltless. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. You would not have condemned the guiltless. We see just last chapter they had condemned who? John the Baptist. Why? Because he said Herod shouldn't have done what he did. Well, you can't say that about Herod. You end up in prison. Jesus said you would not have condemned the guiltless, but that's not all. Who else have they condemned? Jesus looks at it past tense. They haven't said it yet. It's going to be like more verses. But this chapter... I was going to say 10 verses, but I might have been wrong. They're going to condemn Jesus Christ. He said, you would not have condemned the guiltless if you understood God desires mercy, not sacrifice. It's not about your rules, your regulations, the concepts that you can put together. God desires mercy. It's about loving each other and loving God. That's it. That's a whole story. You want to take the Bible in a nutshell? Genesis to Revelation. It's God's redemption of men. Learning to love God and love people. That's what it is. 
But we make it all this other stuff because we, like Pharisees, sometimes start throwing in all kinds of other rules and regulations. And what constitutes uh, a teaching or what constitutes worship or what constitutes prayer. The Lord says, love God and love people. If you had understood this, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And then his fourth argument is in verse 8. <clears throat> it's a big one. He says, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. We have some idea what he just said right there? The Son of Man is a title of Messiah, by the way. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Who gave them the Sabbath? That was God giving the Sabbath to the nation of Israel. What did Jesus just say? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who can tell you how to rightly interpret what the Sabbath is all about. What does the Sabbath mean? The Sabbath means what? Rest. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11? Come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you what? Rest. It's the same word. Because I'm the Lord of the rest. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. There's not a better way for him to say, I am God in the flesh than what he just said. God gave you that rule and I'm the one who, the only one, I'm the best one who to interpret that rule. Well, who's the best one to interpret the rule? The one who made it. So he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So here's their grief. Oh, your disciples, they're not measuring up. They're guilty by our standards. Jesus said, King David was guilty, and I'm greater than King David. And <clears throat> the law, according to your rules, the priests are guilty. But according to the prophets, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. You're missing the boat. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who can tell you the proper interpretation of what this means and what it's all about. And they don't have nothing to say after that. It says, now when he had departed from there, he went to their synagogue. That's a sad phrase, isn't it? Synagogue church used to be called God's house, right? It's where we go to meet with and talk and discuss the Lord. But here Jesus is visiting a synagogue. It's not his. In the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, we have him visit a church. It's not his too. Same thing. He goes into their synagogue. And this is a synagogue of all them Pharisees who were just giving them grief about the Sabbath. Now we're probably in the next Sabbath. So it's a week later. <clears throat> Jesus goes and he just told them, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the only one who can help you rightly interpret how to keep the Sabbath. And so he goes into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That they might accuse him. So they want to charge Jesus. Say it wasn't 10 verses. But you would not, if you understood, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have punished the guiltless. You would not have condemned the guiltless, the innocent. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Now, according to their book, 101 ways to violate the Sabbath, you can't heal. No, no, no. If you are going to die because you're bleeding, we can put a bandage on it or a tourniquet 
And tomorrow after the Sabbath, we'll fix it. We'll just make sure you're not going to die. But let's face it. I mean, if you got a withered hand, you could wait one more day. Whose rule is that? It's not God's rule. That's man's rule. That's that burden that they're heaping on them that Jesus said, get rid of them burdens, cast them off. Take my yoke, not this yoke. Don't pile this junk on you. Well, look, is it lawful? And so he said to them, what man is there among you as one sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? <laughs> Pharisees had the same problem as today. What's that? Every time I see a car with a sticker on it that says pro-choice, it also says save the whales. What's that mean? It means, what are you talking about? Save the whales and kill the babies. That's what I see. The Pharisees had a rule. If your sheep falls into a hole on the Sabbath day, well, of course it's okay to get the sheep out. We've got to be respectful of sheep. So if a sheep falls in a pit, we can take it out. But if this guy's got a withered hand, you cannot heal him. Because he's not as valuable as that sheep in the pit. Or he's not as valuable as that whale. Hey, I'm all for saving the whales and the baby harp seals and everything else. I'm also for saving the babies. Because they belong to God too. And you don't have a right to choose that. I don't have the right to choose that. That's God's job. That's God's choice. Well, the Pharisees the same way. They didn't care about this man at all. They're trying to trap Jesus. Jesus says, any one of you will go grab your sheep out of a hole if it falls in a hole. And the next verse he says, of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is, remember he said he's the Lord of the Sabbath, right? He's the one who can give the interpretation for what you can or can't do on the Sabbath. He's equal to the one who gave them the Sabbath law. And he's telling us right here, here's what you can do on the Sabbath. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. That's what God said. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Now I had a friend in high school who rode motorcycles and <laughs> was a pretty good football player and and uh, we all grew up riding bikes all over Ukaipa, where I grew up. It used to be a lot like here, dirt roads, places. Now it's, everything's paved and you can't hardly find anywhere to, to ride a bike anymore. But then, when I was growing up, we all rode. And he was out riding his motorcycle one time, and he was going up a hill. The same time, another guy was jumping off the top. So this guy jumped off the top of the hill while he was going up, and the back tire of the motorcycle hit him in the shoulder. <clears throat> and doctors, nobody really knows why it happened, but because of that accident, he lost the use of his arm. Could never, never moved it again after that day. And his arm shriveled up. From atrophy, it just got real small and ended up being in the way for everything. He would never let that stop him. He played football, was a linebacker for us, so he would take that arm... And he would fold it across his belly and tape it up. And then pat it, because he didn't want to break it, even though he couldn't feel it, <coughs> and play football. 
His arm was shriveled, just like this man. And Jesus comes to this man with his shriveled hand, who the Pharisees don't care about at all. And it's all atrophied and it's all worthless. You can't do anything with it. And Jesus says, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. His hand don't work. Can't move it. But God's commandments are what? God's enablements. If God says to a lame man, rise up and walk, you know what? His legs work. If God says to a man, stretch out your hand, guess what happens? His hand works. His withered hand is healed. It's restored as whole as the other. And then look at verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. You ever notice that that's the way it is about people who are always pointing the finger at somebody else? They're always quick to want to destroy or kill, even on the Sabbath day. Apparently, it's okay to plan to kill someone on the Sabbath. But it's not okay to make a man whole. You see how twisted legalism gets? It does get that way. And we can all be susceptible to different concepts about legalism and and what does it mean to be a disciple and how do we fully commit ourselves to the Lord. But listen, Jesus gives us the key today. This is the key. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. God desires your compassion. God desires love, not legalism. God desires that the reason we gather together is is an effort for you and I to show God I love you. The reason we worship, if you like it or you don't, is to say to God, I love you. It's not a a half hour of entertainment. The reason we pray is to go before Almighty God and say, I love you. It has nothing to do with how eloquent or or the opposite. Whether you... feel like you have all the right words or not. Actually, it's probably better not to. Prayers are way better when, when you, before you knew how to make it sound churchy. Just talk to God. Just love God. A wise man once said, how will I know how to do God's will? It's really pretty simple. You love God with your whole heart and then do what you want. We make it complicated. What do you mean? The psalmist wrote, if you love the law of the Lord, you love him, he says, I will give you the desires of your heart. If I love God with all my heart, he'll put the right desire in me. The key is to love him with all my heart. We all know that's not words, right? Words are cheap. We can say anything. That's all the Lord wants. He's not looking for our list of rules. For one man, loving the Lord with all his heart might mean that God calls him to fast several times a month or in a year. And and praise the Lord, it draws him close. For another man, it may mean that God calls him to go out into the desert all by himself with just his guitar and write songs that nobody else will ever hear because he's just loving on the Lord. To another man, it may be just spending time in his prayer closet on his knees. If you sit down and try to write a book, 101 ways to love God, you're going to mess it up. Just love him. Love him when you fast. Let that be the reason you fast. 
Love him when you worship. Love him when you pray. Love him when you work. Love him when you go through your day. Love him when you come to church. And more importantly, love him when you go out the doors. Love him when you're talking to people. Love him when you're trying to show the light of Christ to others. Love God and do what God puts on your heart. That's important. That's important. When I think about that, I think about Jeannie. Love God. Do what you want. That's what God wants for us. We love a hundred different things. Don't love none of that junk. Love God and do what you want. Love God and let God move. Don't be like the Pharisee plotting Jesus' death. (laughs) If Jesus hadn't come back then and he came today and we had church, don't be the group who's pointing out all the problems with everybody else. I saw them eating wheat. I saw them at the video store. They bought a video. They had no sense having and they called themselves Christians. Remember what Jesus said. I desire mercy, no sacrifice. Now, some people are going to leave from this sermon and say, Pastor said I could get any movie I want to. That's not the point. (laughs) Don't miss the point. Love God. Everything you do, everything you buy, everywhere you go, love God. That's what Jesus was trying to get across to the people. And that's what the Pharisees missed. And that's why, guys, that's why Matthew chapter 12 changes everything. Up until Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is doing all this cool stuff and he's talking to people and he's teaching them and he's doing all this. But after Matthew chapter 12, it all changes. Because they're rejecting him. Because mercy is something they want for themselves, but not for the other guy. Don't let that be us. Let's hear what the prophet said. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. And let the love of God compel us to do the things we do. Stay away from writing them lists of do's and don'ts. Just love God. Love God and do what you want. God will guide you. And your life, your race, it will be run well. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you so much that we can come before you and just celebrate the truth of your word. Lord God, we come before you and give you thanks for the great men and women who have gone before us, whom you've taken home, Lord Jesus, into your presence. That'll never be hungry and never be thirsty and never be afraid and never want for anything forever. I look forward to that day, God, when you call me. But until that time, Lord Jesus, you have a race for me to run, for each of us to run. And that race is not about pointing fingers at everybody else. It's all about loving God with my whole heart. Not tricking myself into loving God with my words. Loving God with everything that's in me. 
And that that's what compels me to do what I do. That's what compels me to worship. That's what compels me to lift my hands. That's what compels me the love of God, the love of Christ. Lord, it's our prayer this morning that you would just equip us, your saints, God, to go into a world that just like this world is pointing out all the problems with us and where we fall short and where we don't measure up. But I thank you, God, that your answer at this time to those people was, those are my kids. They're mine. And when they're wrong, I will fix them. But you're not one of my kids. You're outside. And I want you to know, just like my kids, you can experience forgiveness for every sin you've ever committed. That you can experience the love of God if you can only recognize that you are a sinner like Zacchaeus or like the woman at the well. Have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. And then you forgive. And as far as the east is from the west, you take my sins to that place. And you ask me, God, to confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And I will be saved. God, it's our prayer. As we take the love of God from this place. As we take the truth of God's word from this place, out these doors. That we will be able to give an answer to those who ask a reason For the hope that's within us. (coughs) For indeed, God, that's how you redeem the hard things. That's how you redeemed that father and mother those many years ago. As they gave an answer for the hope that was within them. And people came to your kingdom. That's how you redeem. So until that day, until that time when we see you face to face, may it be our pledge to love you with everything that is within us. Father, I pray your spirit would move in this place. And if there's anybody here today who doesn't have that relationship with you, (coughs) Lord, we will have prayer counselors all around the room that love to lead you in in a prayer and help you to come to that place where you can know that your sins are forgiven you. That you can understand you're guilty, all of us, guilty men and women. Guilty men and women set free by the love of God. Father, I pray that you would redeem them, that you would redeem us. And through this love, you would change our world until our race is finished. And we will give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.